And uh, please turn in your Bibles now to Mark chapter 7. Uh, We're going to read verses 31 through 37. So Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 31. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of, of of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. And they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude, from the multitude, and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. And he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well, and he makes both deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Amen, and may God bless this reading of his word. Let's pray before we study it together. Lord God, as we come before your word now, we pray that each one of us would approach your word humbly, that we would not impose any understanding of our own to this text, but that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, that we might truly learn and grow as you would have us learn and grow, that we might be better ambassadors and better equipped to serve you in all of our days. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, talent shows on TV are a somewhat unique beast, aren't they? After the first week of the trials and the auditions, you generally have a pretty good idea about what that person is going to do. Whether it's an artist singing, you know what sort of style they're going to do. You might be amazed by the range and the power of that singer's voice, and you might keep being amazed the more you hear it, but you have a pretty good idea about how it's going to go. It might be a contortionist doing things that just shouldn't be done to the human body. But you know, the next week they're going to do something which again shouldn't be done to the human body. It can be all sorts of things. After a little while though, we can get a little bit used to it. You ever heard that favourite artist you have? And after a while, even your favourite song of theirs just gets a little bit annoying because you've heard it so many times? Maybe it's like that when we look to Jesus. But then again, there are times when things happen that are just awesome and blow us away over and over and over again. Uh, In the most recent season of The Voice on TV, I actually had a cousin make it to the semi-finals. I'd heard her sing lots. She uh, she actually sang at Anna and my wedding reception. We knew her range, we knew her general style, all that. I've got jazz written down here. Honey, uh, all that sort of stuff. We knew what she was going to do, but it was still really, really cool to see her do her thing. Now, something that's become apparent more and more is there's a trend, and I'd suggest probably an unspoken and maybe even unnoticed trend among people to look at what Jesus does almost as if it's part of a talent show. To look at Jesus, look at God, and what can you do for me? What can you do for me right now? We've seen through Mark people bringing people who are sick to him. They get the healing. How many of those people stayed with Jesus for a long period of time? 
Now, the gospel writers don't go into details, but it doesn't seem a great many of these people stuck it out for a long period. They came for what they could get, they got what they wanted, and they left. But there's a whole heap more to be found. Maybe they see Jesus as being part of this talent show, of this amazing teacher, this man who could heal injuries and illnesses that just couldn't be cured otherwise. Look at the demons that are cast out, and then we get stuck on those points and never go any further. Now, that would be a very, very sad thing for us to have happen in our own lives. Maybe as we consider how we pray, we might realize the tendency at times to fall into that sort of prayer life. Rather than praying for the people around us, just give me what I need for this moment. Give me what I need for this immediate point in my life. And maybe we begin to treat God like this. It's a sad thing to have happen. Because Jesus, and Jesus who is God, is much more than this. Mark has been building a compelling picture in our minds of Jesus being much more than just part of a talent show, of Jesus just being this person who can do amazing things. He is. He is not just the, the person you go to for that one hit of amusement or one hit of satisfaction. He's a person we keep going back to is what Mark is trying to build in our minds. Now, where we are in Mark's gospel, we pick up in verse 31 that Jesus is on the move again. Last week, he had gone north of Israel to uh, the region of Tyre and Sidon, and now he is heading on from there. Now, maybe when we read that, we think that, and we'll get to the end of verse 31, and we read the Sea of Galilee, we think Jesus is back among the Israelites. But it's not quite right, because there's more than one country bordering this inland sea, and Jesus is in an area not far from where he has been before. And he's in this region called the Decapolis. Now, this is just, as I've said a few times, we've seen this pop up. It's a, a Greek word, which is polis, is city, deca meaning ten. It's this region where there are ten cities. And I said, we're not far from where Jesus has been last week. Last week, when we looked at this, uh, this uh, sorry Phoenician lady who had come to Jesus, reminded us of the man who had had a legion of demons cast out of Jesus earlier in Mark's gospel. Following those, that legion of demons being cast out, there was the whole fiasco of the pigs running down the hill, the whole commotion, everything that happened there. Uh, the town asking Jesus to leave. The, those are some of the big ticket things we see. But among all of that, last time Jesus was here, the man who had been cleansed of that demon possession, that horrible, horrible circumstance he found himself in, that man who was cleansed became the first missionary to the Gentiles, who was a Gentile himself, among the Decapolis. Jesus is going into an area now where he is known of, where people have heard about him. This guy's gone before Jesus, he's gone into this area and he's told people about the amazing news of Christ. He's told them. People know so again, Jesus is going to a place where we might not expect him to be going. It's not the place where Jesus had spent most of his ministry, but once more it's a place people knew. Word had got around. Now the question should probably be lingering in our heads, what have these people actually heard and believed about Jesus? They've heard about him. We can't deny that. They know about Jesus, but what have they heard? 
maybe for these people it's something like a talent show coming to town. Maybe it's like the Ecker has come to town. The Ecker's not in Brisbane this time, but the Ecker's moved to the Decapolis. Jesus is there, the attractions are there, this whole range of things that he can do, and people are probably curious. There's a chance for people to see whether Jesus lives up to the hype. And people come. People are intrigued. There is something about Jesus that keeps grabbing people's attention, isn't there? We see this figure through history who has always grabbed the attention of people. He's certainly grabbed our attention today. We are people who are intrigued by Jesus and want to learn more about this person. But even back here, people came. We read in verse 33... And not in his own country, in a foreign country, there is a multitude present. There is a great many people who are present. There's something about Jesus you just can't keep under wraps. And the consistent response from people when they hear that Jesus is near is to come to him. It's apparent that same thing is happening today. Now, as they come to him, verse 32 tells us that they brought a very specific person to Jesus. Now, cast your mind back over the various things that Jesus has done. He has healed paralytics. All manner of injuries have been healed. He's cast out demons. Maybe he's healed mute people. Maybe he's healed deaf people. But Mark hasn't given us that specific information prior to this. The person who is brought to Jesus we are told, is a man who is deaf and has a speech impediment. Now, there's a lot of speculation in books written about this passage as to whether the speech impediment was a result of the hearing loss, as is common, or if it's something else. Now, we could add to that discussion, but simply we don't know and we don't need to know. Some things we just don't need to know the exact details of. What we have here is a man brought to Jesus has some sort of speech impediment and is deaf. Other questions are raised by people looking at this account in Mark's Gospel of was this man brought to Jesus by people who just wanted to see if Jesus lived up to the hype? Almost as a test for Jesus. Can he actually do what we've heard he can do? Prove yourself, Jesus. Or was this man brought to Jesus by people who genuinely cared for him and hoped that Jesus could heal this person they loved. Again, we don't know. I might be optimistic, but I'd like to think that whoever brought this man to Jesus brought him to Jesus out of genuine concern and genuine hope for healing, for restoration. So this is where we are. We are in the region of the Decapolis. People not, for the most part, of Israelite descent are there. Jesus has just had a conversation with a Syrophoenician lady prior to this, what we looked at last week in verses 24 through 30, about crumbs and children and dogs. And we got this question here, will Jesus actually do something miraculous for the Gentiles or will he withhold these greater miracles for a later date among God's people? And among all of that, we have this speech-impaired deaf man brought to Jesus. At this point, we're sort of left hanging, aren't we? We're still left hanging. What's Jesus going to do? Now, we've read it, so we know what happens, but put yourselves into the shoes of the crowd there that day. They're all probably going, 
how can this be fixed? This isn't just one serious health problem this guy has. There's two serious things. Both of these issues seriously affect this guy's quality of life. Will Jesus withhold goodness because of our nationality? Can Jesus do the things that we've heard he can do? Is Jesus just a con artist who's gotten away with this for long enough by getting people who could act sick come to him prior to this? You can almost see people at the back of the crowd on tippy toes trying to see everyone else what is going to happen here. We can almost get this sense of anticipation building and it's likely they all wanted to know what's going to happen. And then rather than do anything in front of the people, verse 33 where I mentioned the multitude, Jesus took him, that is this man who is described in the passage as deaf and mute, aside from the multitude. So they're removed from the crowd now. Just Jesus and this deaf, mute man. And maybe the crowd's edging closer, but I don't think so. And what Jesus does when he draws and takes this man to the side of the crowd is he does something that wouldn't pass muster in a medical facility today. He sticks his fingers in this guy's ears and puts his finger on his tongue. And he put his finger on his tongue after spitting first. For us, that's odd. If we went to see a GP or in the hospital and the doctor came in and just started sticking their fingers in our ears or spitting on their hands and touching our tongues, we probably wouldn't go back. I don't imagine us going back. It's odd for us. There were no rubber gloves involved there. There was no antibacterial hand wash. But this happens exactly the way Mark tells us it happens. Right then and there, Jesus sticking fingers in ears and touching his tongue after spitting. We might be wondering, what on earth is going on here? Why is Jesus doing this? I heard a sermon recently where somebody, I think, tried to read too much into the conversation between Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman of last week. Well, let the children be filled first in verse 27, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And said, what Jesus is doing here, because of course we've read that the healing happened. What Jesus is doing here is providing a blessing, but also putting this person as a Gentile in their place. This is bringing greater humiliation on this man that's lived a terrible life a man who's likely suffered enough abuse and public humiliation because of this stuff. And this person I heard is basically saying, Jesus is adding greater humiliation. Now, if that's the case, that would be a terrible crime. This would be a terrible scene that we have here. And Jesus is physically touching the parts of this man where there are issues. Now, this person who's got a mild hearing loss, and I'm reminded now I should have my hearing aids in today, I sort of get not wanting to draw attention to the place where you have trouble hearing. When I started as a, a ministry trainee at a church at Budrum, uh, it, was a, it was an open conversation after the worship service, Q&A time, 
and people said, ask Callum any question that you'd like to to get to know him a little bit better. And someone sticks their hand up and goes, what's in your ears? Because I was actually wearing my hearing aids that day. And I just don't want attention drawn to those sorts of things. I think glasses, enough is where glasses has become normal. You get away with that, but other stuff you don't want to go to. Having this hearing loss, if Jesus is embarrassing this guy, it would be a terrible thing because he's not just a mild hearing loss, it's deafness. With a mild hearing loss, when Anna and I had our antenatal appointments at the hospital because masks were required, doctors eventually remembered that it wasn't just Anna there. Pregnant women get a lot of attention in those places. They'd finally turn to me and say, do you have any questions? Because of the masks, I hadn't heard pretty much any of the conversation. I reckon 70% I hadn't heard. I didn't know if what I was going to ask had been covered or not, so I just sat there quietly. It was a little bit embarrassing. I don't know. And he gave me a very detailed rundown on the drive home. Is it a terrible thought for us to consider that Jesus is publicly humiliating this man? Is it a terrible thought that Jesus would be doing this just to put him in his place? It's a thought that lines up with nothing of what we've seen of Jesus either. This is Jesus who, when the crowds came to him, that crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children came to him. Jesus looked at them, realized their spiritual state was such that they had no one to truly teach them, and he had compassion on them. This is Jesus who has spoke to the hearts of his disciples every single time they've been concerned. This is Jesus who healed this Syrophoenician woman's daughter last week and commended her for the faith that she had shown. This is Jesus who has healed Jairus' daughter. This is Jesus who had been willing to have a conversation with a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years when everyone else would have said, don't even look at that woman. For us to think that Jesus is publicly humiliating this guy would simply be wrong. No, Jesus is not touching this guy's ears and his tongue to go, here's where your problems are, isn't that fun? Jesus is touching this guy's ears and his tongue as signs of the time that were healing signs. Touching areas that are affected and use of spit was not an uncommon sign that medical work was happening at the day, at the time. Now, as I say, we need to remember this is Jesus who is healed simply by speaking. This is Jesus who has raised a child back from the dead. This is Jesus who has calmed a storm just with words and stopped the wind without even speaking. This is Jesus who doesn't even need to be in the proximity of the person who he is healing to heal them. These actions are not for Jesus' benefit, but for the benefit of this mute and deaf man, as well as for the crowd, this multitude who are watching on. Jesus also lifts his face to heaven and he says the Greek word there, which we're fortunately given the translation of, which says, be opened. That is, this guy's ears to be opened so he can hear again. Now we know that Jesus is God, but the act of looking to heaven confirms that Jesus is not some Greco-Roman demigod or anything else. He's not some figure from mythology, but to show that what he does truly is from the one and only living God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. There can be no confusion as to what Jesus is doing. He is healing the deafness. He is healing the speech impediment and there can be no confusion as to the source of the healing. God alone. 
and there really was healing. This man who had once had this hearing, uh, this speech impediment could now speak clearly. The deafness was removed. His ears were opened as Jesus had commanded it to be. We read in Mark that this man who had had a speech impediment now spoke plainly to them. And there was a huge relief for this man. And what about the crowds? The crowds are blown away. Verse 37 contains the words, and they were astonished beyond measure. We spoke about the echo during the children's talk. Something I deliberately left out for now is the clowns at Sideshow Alley. Those open-mouthed clowns turning their heads from side to side. That figure of startled amazement. I think that sort of image comes to mind here, doesn't it? Amazed beyond measure. They're astonished beyond measure. Jesus tells them, don't tell people about this yet. That this news is too good for the crowd. They had to tell people. And the more they're told not to say anything, the more they talk. I want us to take note of verse 37, though. Not only were they astonished beyond measure, they were astonished beyond measure. Why? Because in their own words recorded for us here, he has done all things well. They use the example of this man who's been healed, but he, Jesus, has done all things well. That is how this multitude saw Jesus on that day. He has done all things well. Begs the question of us, is that how we see Jesus? see Jesus doing all things well how often do we see the attitude or maybe have the attitude ourselves I am so thankful that Jesus healed so many people that he cast out so many demons that he taught us so clearly of God he explained the father to us in ways we could never understand that he explained the work he was going to us in beautiful wonderful profound ways I love what he did with feeding people the teaching the calming of the insane weather events I love what he did with those things. But maybe he could have done X, Y, Z just a little bit differently. If Jesus hadn't called the Pharisees out for being hypocrites for their traditions, and that hadn't challenged me for the traditions I hold on to as well, I would be a lot more comfortable. Why did Jesus have to say that? Maybe we feel like that crosses into the line of, well, that wasn't done quite so well. When we begin to have that attitude, we begin to treat Jesus more as somebody from a talent show than anything else. We come for, whether it be the song we like or the act we like, but we don't take the whole person. And these people, not even 
not even Israelites, these people who are Gentiles, they realize something we need to realize too, that he did everything well. There was nothing done poorly. There was nothing done wrongly by Jesus. There was no miserly attitude. There was no humiliation of anyone. There was grace. There was compassion. There was mercy. There was forgiveness. There was an outpouring of divine things taking place around Jesus. There was no holding back from people in these crowds. They saw this about Jesus. So the question remains, is this how we see Jesus too? Is this how we see Jesus? Last week after the worship service, we had the Lord's Supper. One of the things that we say in the Lord's Supper is that God requires us to have repentance toward God and faith in Jesus. Not faith in the parts we like, not appreciation for the parts we like, but a a hint of regret about other parts. It's complete. It's full. It's not partial. Do we really think that he did everything well? We have another case of it here, another example of Jesus doing things very, 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 very well. But when things don't quite work out for us, when our plans don't quite come to fruition the way that we'd like them to, Do we still say Jesus does all things well, that God does all things well, or do we think, God, you could have smoothed the path for me just a little bit more there, and I would have been fine. In so many ways, this attitude of Jesus not doing everything well can creep in. So easy for that to creep in. We need to be on guard. We need to pray that this doesn't happen to us. We need to pray that we might be eternally thankful for everything Jesus did. The crowds, they didn't know the whole story yet. Maybe they only knew the the barest part of the story. Maybe all they knew was that a man who had been possessed by demons had had the demons cast out of him and the person who did it, his name was Jesus. And now they have a chance to meet that Jesus. And they've seen Jesus heal a deaf and mute man. And what do they say? He does everything well. We have far more of the story than they had. We're not even up to the halfway point of Mark's gospel yet. And there is still more that is good to come. And that should encourage us that even even when things are messy, even in hurt, in pain, in heartache, in sickness, in discomfort, in dissatisfaction, in every trial of life, that the God who is good and the God who only does good and the only God is right there with us through all of those times. And when things are good, when things are going well, He is still with us in those times, even in the good times. He is with us in the good. He is with us in the bad. He is with us in the indifferent. Praise God for the truth that he has always done, is doing and will do everything well.
this was something the crowds, they couldn't keep to themselves. They couldn't keep this news to themselves. They had to tell people. And that's another challenge for us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for being able to read of another amazingly incredible thing that Jesus does in this this incredible act of healing. Lord God, we pray that we would adopt that attitude that the crowds had, that you are the one who does everything well. And we know that is so much more significant when we realize that we don't do everything well. This adds to our constant need of you. So Lord God, we pray that we would continue to turn to you, that we would continue to trust you, because we have no evidences and we can have no doubts that you are good and you do good. So encourage us in this, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our...